Episode 8 this week on The Paul George Show, Mike Gormley. These are people who believed in two gods, a good god of spirit and a bad god of matter. And Jesus came as like an undercover agent of the good god to reveal to us the esoteric wisdom of the spiritual blah, blah, blah. The Paul George Show! Welcome to The Paul George Show, talking chasing foxes, church culture, and why Paul prays for clowns. A co-production of Christ Our King Radio and Breadbox Media, Here's your host, Paul George. Welcome to the Paul George Show. Great to be with you today. Exciting day, exciting show. Got Casey Traha in the studio with me. I'm good. Calm down, sir. You're scaring me. (laughs) No, I'm really excited about the show today. Uh, Got a great guest. Uh, By the way, our guest today by far has the best nickname I've ever heard. Okay. And I'll introduce him when I have him on the show. Oh, teaser. Teaser, right there. Anyway, Casey, have you heard in the news, this is crazy, uh, this whole thing about clowns. I mean, <laughs> it's really kind of crazy to me that there are people who are dressing like clowns yeah. and who are doing violent things, uh, which is so silly. Um, but but one of the things that really you know made me laugh was that, uh, that uh, and, and this is kind of sad and funny at the same time, is that Clowns are going out of business. Like, they can't get work. <laughs> like, so real clowns. Like, are having- real clowns are having a hard time getting work. There's a bunch of a bunch of things about this that I find humorous. Uh, one is that I have a couple friends, one in particular, that already have a fear of clowns. Right. So they're just living in constant yeah. terror. Well, one of my kids has a fear of clowns, which is so weird. It's like we never went to a circus and got attacked by a clown. So my older kids... Are picking on her oh, about the clowns, shit. and this is bringing up all this stuff, which is so crazy and hysterical. But but the fact that like we live in a country where a clown can't get a job because people are going around dressed as clowns, doing you know really horrible things. But but here's here's here, here's the other thing is that I don't know if you heard uh, Ronald McDonald, you know the the mm-hmm. mascot. The, yeah. the, the McDonald yeah. clown yeah. Uh, has has is in hiding basically. <laughs> <laughs> did they wait? So did they? This is like the the apex of the American like logo <laughs> is Ronald McDonald, and so he, all yeah. the McDonald's managers like went and like took their Ronald McDonald's outside of their stores and brought them in the back. Yeah, not only like it's the bad PR, not only like the statue, but the actual Ronald McDonald's. Like I I can't go out there now. Wait, what do you mean the actual Le, the, Ronald? Like McDonald's. you know, like they have a mascot that like dresses like Ronald McDonald. And we'll come out and do uh, promotional stuff and different things. That and, that still exists. Yes, I haven't seen that in twenty years. Well, you're probably not looking for him. <laughs> I mean, he's not everywhere. So also, they have this this Twitter handle. It's the hashtag if I see a clown. So what would you do if you saw a clown? Okay, honestly, like today, <laughs> like if I saw a clown, my first thought would be like, what's that clown up to? Uh, like I would, I would question like what what's a clown? First of all, what's a clown doing just out and about? Like that's just not something that you do. Like I, I was, I was listening to this guy talk one time, and uh, he literally said in the middle of his talk, he said, "You know what, guys? If I could do anything, if I could have any job, I would be a clown." And I walked out. I was like, "Cause I just can't handle that." Right? What would you do? I I, I would try and reason with the clown. Like, what are you doing, sir? Like what? What is your objective out here in the middle of nowhere? Right, right, yeah. And then if if you would get violent with me, I would of course f- fight or flight. Right, be all up out of there. Oh, anyway, 
we got to pray for the clowns, man. They can get some work because, I mean, it is their job. But anyway, have you heard there's this thing called the Green Pope? No. What does that mean? Okay. So apparently there's, you know, you know, when you think of a green, in some ways you think of environment. So they've, oh. they've sort of tagged. So Pope uh, Francis is a, the Green Pope? Pope? See, that's what most people would think. Most people would think that Pope Francis is the Green Pope, you know, because he talks about environment. But he's the most recent that has. But the, the Pope that's talked and written the most about the environment is actually Pope Benedict XVI. That is great. That so, is super ironic. Yeah. I, so I don't know if you're, like, excited to be tagged the Green Pope. I appreciate what he's written. And honestly, if you've ever read any of his writing on the environment, it's it's really, really good stuff, you know. Um, but anyway, so... This, that's a shattering of barriers because, look, if, if you don't pay attention to, to Catholic culture, there's this whole movement that pretty much hates Pope Francis because of his outspokenness right. on climate change and right. of uh, income inequality. So the fact that Pope Benedict yeah. is the Green Pope... He's the Green Pope. ...is wonderful. And they're basically saying the same thing. I think people who just don't like Pope Francis are just looking for anything not to like him. You know, but basically when he talked about the environment, he basically said, look, God created the earth. We need to treat it with, with respect. You know, so like ultimately... Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Boom. Wow. I, You know, like what are you mad about, bro? You know, like you mad? So anyway, the Green Pope, I, I would actually like to see Benedict come out in like a green garb, whatever, vestments, <laughs> very ordinary. He's, he's German. That'll never happen. No, it wouldn't. But anyway, the Pope was white. So the first time I saw the Pope was uh, John Paul II. I had traveled to Denver, Colorado with about a cabillion people for <laughs> World Youth Day in Denver in 1993. Oh, and uh, this is long before internet and, and Twitter and really like you, you really knew about you knew who the Pope was, but you weren't you didn't have access to what the Pope said mm. uh, every day, what he looked like, what he wore, where he traveled. Um, and so, you know, there was this this whole idea of the Pope, you know, that was almost more of a mystery than anything. You fell in love with with a person that you really never even met or saw. Right. So millions of people and. um the Pope is there on a stage uh, about five miles away. And, <laughs> Did uh, they have jumbotrons in 93? He, uh, they, I, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> you don't remember. All I remember ago. is that the Pope was so far away that he looked like a Q-tip. He's just <laughs> a, of the white. A, little white, a little white thing. And, which, by the way, do you know why the Pope wears white? Uh, a symbol for innocence? I mean, white's kind of Wrong. a purest color. I don't know. No, it's a good guess. Actually, in it was um, it was actually Pius V. Pope Pius V was actually a Dominican in the 1500s. Became Pope, and Dominicans wear white. And since then, the tradition has been the Popes wear white. So what about those that it's aren't the, Dominicans? It's the simplicity. Well, they, the, the current Popes or Popes after that didn't wear the Dominican alb but they continued the white tradition uh which has a symbol of innocence and purity um and humility but before that do you know what the popes wore who knows they wore like uh red reddish purple 
uh, which the Cardinals that wear. That would make more sense. A reddish purple, because that's, that's royalty. It's, it's a higher Wrong! Order. Again, Man. yes, the convert has totally. To say, that's what happens when you're a convert. <laughs> yeah, I had to look this up, by the way. So, <laughs> of course I had to... you did. <laughs> my... But anyway, do you know why the cardinals wear red? Which is awesome. Why? The blood of the mortars. Huh. So they're red. Uh, traditionally, as they put it on, they wear it is a sign of their willingness to die for the faith. How cool is that? It's all great in theory. It's all great in theory <laughs> until you until a clown gets a hold of you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, so I'm I'm seeing the Pope. He looks like a Q-tip. I'm in Denver, Colorado, and then uh, he decides, uh, John Paul II, who's now saint, decides to get out uh, into and get into his Pope mobile and drive around in the crowd, millions of people. So they had these barricades kind of set up with the little lanes for him to drive through. And you usually have a glass casing over the Pope Mobile, which is bulletproof, which is even cooler. That um, started with him, didn't it? I think so, because he was the most traveled Pope ever, and still is. And the only one, well, not the only one, but like the only one recently to get shot. Yep, yep, exactly. Uh, and and so he, he's driving around. Well, you know, he's coming close to us in the barrier, and there's people from all over the world. So there's there's these Latinos in front of us that are yelling and crying as the Pope's coming near. Viva la Popa. I don't know. Is it long live the Pope? Uh, and uh, I'm like, what are they even saying? I just figured that Popa means Pope. So uh, the Pope's getting closer. I'm like, ah, oh, it's no big deal. It's just the Pope. And because I'm tall, I can kind of see everything and see him coming. And they're crying against the barricade, you know, Viva la Popa. And, uh, and so as he gets closer, like, I basically like push them out of the way. <laughs> Move, please. <laughs> Move, please. And I'm like, next thing you know, I'm yelling, Viva La Popa. And I got my hand out towards, you know, the, the Pope Mobile. And he passes by and he touches my hand. <gasps> you touched the Pope. The Pope touched me. Bomp, bomp. Which makes me a third class relic. That's right. Right? That's awesome. Don't you think? Yeah. So maybe when I die, they'll cut my hand off and put it in like a glass case. That's super creepy. That is, don't you think relics are creepy in oh, general? Okay, yeah, that's a whole conversation. We're gonna need a whole segment to talk about. Well, relics. absolutely. But I remember I was um, I was in a church somewhere, and uh, I think it was in Atlanta, and the altar cloth had come off, and and so we're resetting it, and we're setting up for something at the church, and it was a beautiful altar, and then it had a glass case square and then i looked in it and it was like the a vertebrae a whole vertebrae of saint peter chanel just sitting in the altar it it like it really freaked me out man uh because it's like there's the bone of somebody in the altar which is kind of cool but it is very freaky and when you try to explain this to people who you oh, know you... aren't christian particularly <laughs> not catholic they're like what oh, in the I, world i can say this now that i'm catholic you catholics are so weird yeah Anyway, we're all weird. You're weird. I'm weird. Everybody's weird. We just like to, to look at people who are weird and say they're weirder than, than we are. But yeah, Catholics are weird, by the way. Anyway, we got a great show today. A guy named Michael Gormley from Houston, Texas, layevangelist.com. Awesome guy. He's got a podcast out there. We're going to talk to him today about church and culture. It's really cool. Uh, so anyway, it's Paul George Show. Great to be with you today. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to The Paul George Show, a co-production of Christ Our King Radio and Breadbox Media. This week on the show, we welcome Michael Gormley. Here's Paul. Welcome back to The Paul George Show. Great to be with you today. As expected, I have a guest today, Casey, which by far has the best nickname, I think, in the world. Michael Gormley from Houston, Texas. So tell me how you got this nickname and what it is. Uh, okay, so my nickname is Gomer. It kind of plays off my last name, Gormley. And I'm actually nicknamed, weirdly enough, after a, an Old Testament female prostitute in the book of Hosea. <laughs> Even have, better. I, have, I know, right? People are like, oh, Gomer Pyle. And I'm like, no, just hold on. I'm going to disappoint you. Uh, <laughs> I'm nicknamed after the prostitute wife of the prophet Hosea because a buddy of mine in high school thought it would be funny after he learned about this nickname, or this woman's name was Gomer, to nickname me that. So we're friends like those. There you are. Enemy. Yeah, so Michael Gormley, you, you really, I, I don't know, I think for the first maybe five years that I knew you, uh, I did not know your real name. I just knew yeah. you as Gomer. How, how many people just know you as Gomer? Uh, thousands. Thousands. <laughs> <laughs> thousands. All right, so you're in Houston, Texas. Uh, you work at a, a, a big church there um, as an adult formation coordinator. Is that is that what you're doing? Uh, yeah, I changed my uh, title to coordinator of evangelization, but I do adult information. Good. I, I love when you can just kind of tell your priest, like, hey, here's my title. Here's what I'm doing. And they're like, go for it, man. I need well, that. I asked him. I went to him and I said, hey, can I change my title? And he said, well, what do I have to, is it like a promotion? I was like, no. He said, do I have to pay you more? I was like, no. And he goes, why do you want it? And I literally just kind of looked at the floor and said, because my friends will think it's cooler. <laughs> and he's like, go for it. <laughs> go for it. I love it. Anyway, uh, this is you're, yeah. you're at a big parish. How many families uh, in Houston uh, at this six, parish? 6,400 families, about 22,000 individual souls. That's crazy. Yeah, so you have a big job there, and of course you have a website, layevangelist.com. You travel and speak. Yep. You, you, you and I have been together at many places, many conferences, which is always a privilege and fun uh, being with you. Um, but, you know, one of the things that you're in the trenches doing, not only at your parish, Gomer, but um, also when you travel and speak, is this whole term that's been thrown out for probably the past, I don't know, 10 years, but it's been around a lot longer than that, is this whole thing called the new evangelization. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, today if you want to sell a book and you're writing a book for like a Catholic publisher, if you put new evangelization in a subtitle, it'll sell, I guess, <laughs> right. because everyone, yeah. every, it's like the buzzword of all buzzwords, yeah, so yeah. Um, in Catholic circles, in the super niche of Catholic circles, right. um, that's what it is. Right. Well, what does it actually mean? I, I mean... You know, you're doing this hands-on, and what you talk about on your website, which I love, is like it, it's more than a term. It's it's actually a call to action. But what does that mean for not only someone like you who works in the church or me, uh, but just lay people out there who are living, you know, just everyday lives, going to work and, and, and raising yeah. families? Yeah, so I think the, the biggest thing is understanding where the new evangelization term comes from. It comes from Pope John Paul, the great... Um, and when he was writing uh, to to the churches, he was encouraging us to realize that there is a new mission field that we need to be aware of, and we need to take a new approach. So the old evangelization it was the evangelization continued from the time of the apostles to convert pagans, pre-Christians, to Christianity. Right. Um, so we basically have two groups that commonly referred to in the church. You have the mission ad gentes to the nations, to the pre-Christians, and then you have 
the task of catechesis, which is to those who have accepted the message of faith and respond. Right. So this is, you know, for supposedly normal Catholics. But the new evangelization is for those who lie somewhere in the middle hmm. in a post-Christian world. So whether it's they were never Christians, never baptized, but they live in a Christian you know, or a post-Christian culture like Western Europe or America or something like that. Or these are people who maybe they were baptized as babies and did some of the sacraments, but never never made an explicit act of faith or, or fell away from the Church or just never really practiced. And so it, to focus on these people, it take, it's, it's ten times harder than doing the mission at Gentes, because you are also going against this massive amount of apathy of people who say, oh yeah, Church, I've been there, done that, or people who have a caricature of Christianity right. and not who Christ, and they don't know who Christ is, and so you're fighting tons of baggage just to get to just to get to the person's heart so. right right if you're uh just listening in i'm talking to michael gormley uh nickname gomer he's at layevangelist.com or twitter at layevangelist anyway gomer yeah. wouldn't you say a, a lot of the work of the new evangelization actually starts with with many people who are in the pews who are what you you could almost say who are disenchanted with the faith who, who don't fully engage in it yeah, I would say it starts, um, in terms of parish life, it starts with the people in the pews. Mm. You've got to go after, I, I think the, the best people to approach are the once-a-month mass-goers. Mm. Um, Catholics don't realize this, but if you're a devout Catholic, you're in the extreme minority right. of people sitting in the pews. Yeah. The, average, the average Catholic is someone who attends mass around once a month, wow. um, if, if they still attend mass at all as an yep. adult. So. Those are the people that, uh, as a parish, you should be most concerned with. Hmm. Uh, not just their children, which, which um, Sherry Waddell in her book, Forming Intentional Disciples, uh, calls it the, most Catholic churches have an infant paradigm of evangelization, which is baptism and then, you know, infant baptism, and then we just put them in faith formation classes as they grow up. Right. But we need to have an adult paradigm of, of evangelization, which is, oh my goodness, these people might have been sacramentalized, but they've never been evangelized. They don't have a living relationship with God. They're far from the heart of the Church, even though they might go to Mass here and there. And that's where, as a parish, we need to start. But as an individual, you need to start in, in your immediate area. So your, your, what we call your spheres of influence, so your family, uh, your neighbors, your coworkers. And it doesn't mean you harass them with pamphlets or something. Hey, I have some literature for you. Right. No one likes that on their lunch break. But um, it means forming intentionally forming bonds with people around you and putting Christ at the center of those relationships. And so I think the biggest failing in the new evangelization is it's just reduced to, in the American church at least, it's just reduced to a series of programs. Like, right. get this DVD series and you will have the new evangelization. Exactly. And it just doesn't work like that. Yeah, and we've really taken a turn uh, – you know, I, I think in, in, in a way uh, not so good of going to program-based, you know, outreach and evangelization. And I think the church is sort of waking up to that reality that, hey, programs are good, but they're only a sort of a tool. Uh, but if yeah. you lose the heart of relationships and discipleship uh, within the parish, uh, you really lose the whole life of Christ in the parish. Yeah, absolutely. We are, like, to me, these tools of... Um, most of the tools that are call themselves evangelization aren't really evangelization. They're catechesis on mission and evangelization. Right. They're not actually... The Catholic Church has very few things to win people to Christ. There's mm. Discover Christ, there's some wonderful stuff from Focus um, that's out there, but in terms of rock-solid, you know, 
answering atheist objections and skeptics and all that stuff and, and, and preaching the message of Christ, that, that's just, it's almost completely absent in terms of these programs. Right. So even the programs aren't, aren't even hitting on the right point. So yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a tragedy right now. Yeah. And you talked about the, the once a month mass goer. I mean, when you look at it and you reach those, cause those are the ones that are about to be the, the non mass goer. They're, they're on their way right. out, you know, and you really got to, win those people over to Christ and, and then ultimately empower them, right, to live their faith so that they can begin to attract others to the faith, or what? Yeah, I think, I mean, Pope St. John Paul said uh, in his wonderful encyclical on the mission of the Redeemer, said that um, faith is, you grow in your faith when you give it away, right? And so what we have done as Catholics, by, by having an entirely insulated faith, especially here in America, you know, we have Catholic schools. People can be brought up in a thoroughly Catholic environment. I mean, I remember my, the day my mom told me about uh, when she first met a non-Catholic, and it scared her. Wow. She was like, a what? A what? You know, and she was like 12 years old, growing up in inner-city Philadelphia in the, you know, the 1950s and 60s. But um, So we have this, this experience of my faith is just kind of this thing that I do um, on, on Sundays, and, and it might be very important to me. I might have a, quote-unquote, strong Catholic identity. But that doesn't mean that it's being, it's number one, life-changing, and number two, something that you want to share. Right. So uh, I, I think the biggest part is just waking Catholics up to the missionary dynamism of their baptism. That's, that's really what it's about. Absolutely. If you just listen to him, I'm talking to Michael Gormley, a.k.a. Gomer, from Houston, Texas, LeeVangelist.com. Gomer, you know, as we, we kind of come to wrapping up this segment, um, if someone's listening and, and they're just a normal parishioner out there what what can what can those people do to engage in the new evangelization in, in their parish awesome so the first thing you can do is start reading the gospels um mm -hmm. you know I, I tell people all the time if you feel guilt tripped by all the million different rosaries and litanies that you feel as a good catholic you quote unquote have to do I would say people need to just go and sit in front of the blessed sacrament with the gospel pick a gospel like the gospel of mark and just start reading it and ask, Lord, show me your face in this. Show me the face of the Father through the words and deeds of Jesus. So it starts and with then the relationship with yeah. Christ. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the, from that flows uh, the most basic thing you can do, which is have a com invite someone to lunch and have a conversation. Just start with one person. Hmm. Like doesn't, It doesn't have to be anything bigger than that. It doesn't have to be launching a program. Just inviting people, because you'll find that those people will be hungry for the person of Christ and not just for more teaching, more wisdom, more blah, blah, blah. They want Jesus. Amen to that. I mean, and you really just simplified it. You kind of summed it up. And I think anybody listening out there can say, you know what, I can do that. I can work on my personal relationship with Christ. I can grow in that, really engage in the gospel and, and allow Christ to empower me to share that with one person. You know, and I think yeah. if everyone began to do that, I think parishes would begin to catch on fire because, uh, you know, the parish doesn't catch on fire because you have a good program. It catches on fire because people are on fire. It's about people being yeah. on fire for Christ. Yeah, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't spread a fire with a DVD. Only people can spread fire. So uh, <laughs> you can burn you need them. to be able to do that. You can burn them. You know, you can burn the DVD. That's a good point. Yeah, you can put it in a microwave. I've done that many times. <laughs> anyway, uh, this is the Paul George Show talking to Michael Garmley at Lee Evangelist on Twitter. 
Uh, we'll be right back, and we're going to talk about this awesome podcast that Gomer has out there. Paul George here. Welcome to the Paul George Show, a co-production of Christ Our King Radio and Breadbox Media. We return to hear more from our guest, Mike Gormley. Welcome back to the Paul George Show. Great to be with you today. Uh, talking to Michael Gormley from Houston, Texas, layevangelist.com. Best nickname in the world, uh, Gomer. Anyway, Gomer, thanks for being with me today. Yeah, this is great, man. All right, so one of the shows, I was talking to Bishop Sam Jacobs, and when I was in college, he actually had to bail me out of a prank. He had to call and vouch for me. I had gotten in trouble in a dorm doing a prank. It was fun. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> you, you went to Franciscan University. Uh, is that correct? Yes. Right, yeah, God's own school. Yeah, yeah so I, I know that uh, <laughs> you know all you guys who went to Franciscan are friends. Did you guys ever have any... Uh, dorm pranks or college pranks or do you ever do any pranks that were really funny yeah i was never the ringleader of a lot of those pranks i was the guy in the background that was egging people on to keep going even after uh, <laughs> yeah even exactly. after it was it was morally prudent to stop um but the my favorite prank that i led was uh i had a retreat team and we were doing a retreat for uh one priest who ran two parishes and we came in separate cars and all this stuff, and we set up like three hours before the kids came. But because it was two separate parishes and it was a high school confirmation retreat, the kids didn't know each other from the other parish. Okay. And so I took, I had nine people in my team, and I had them pretend to be kids from the other parish, and I assigned them roles. And so one kid was like the happier than life kid, and she's like, oh my gosh, I can't wait for this retreat. It's going to be so much fun. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then I had, I assigned all these different personalities. And then the last one was angry at the world kid. And, and so as we went on, I, I made this thing where I read Job 10.10, which is, uh, God says to Job, have I not poured you out like milk and thickened you like cheese? And then I did this whole, like, five-minute, like, sermon-esque thing about the evils of dairy in our life. And if you want to live a life devoted to Christ, you have to give up dairy. This is creative. And, uh, yeah, and, then, and it was just supposed to be a funny way to introduce the team. But my team took too long, like, responding, and so kids actually thought it was real, and the priest stood up to, like, shut me down, and then the first kid started renouncing dairy, and the second one, and they're all on my team, and then the last one was the angrier at the world kid, and he, uh, he started crying, and he jumped on me, and he was, like, hugging me, and he's like, dairy killed my father! Dairy killed my father. That's crazy. And, and then right before they were going to shut it all down, the and the priest was walking towards the front. I go, ladies and gentlemen, this is your retreat team. And they're like, wow. <laughs> so you did like a, almost, a a prank skit within the retreat that, yeah. Is what you know, as a, you were a youth minister then, is that what you are? When you did no, that? well, uh, I, at the time I was just a, a freshman in college. Oh, okay. You were college and you were leading this retreat. Yeah, you got to entertain yourself. So anyway, talking yeah. to Michael Gormley, uh, a.k.a. Gomer, Houston, Texas, layevangelist.com. Gomer, you have um, this podcast out that's kind of kind of catching fire, which, uh, no pun intended, it's called Catching Foxes. Tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, Catching Foxes is a podcast where we, me and a, a co-host, um, every other episode we have a conversation with each other, and then every other episode we have a conversation with, a, we interview someone. And the show is uh, where do you get its uh, name? How do I put it? Uh, the the name comes from Song of Songs chapter two, uh, at the end of the song where he says, um, "Catch for us the foxes that roam in our vineyard, or that damage the vineyard for our vineyard is in bloom." And the reason why that's important is I had a massive conversion experience in high school, 
through chapter two of Song of Songs. It's a long story, but um, it was huge in my life. And then when I went to college the next year, I met my co-host, Luke, and um, he was really, he's really big into like weird alternative music and stuff. And there was a band called Me Without You and the CD that I fell in love with. They're my favorite band now. Uh, was the album was called Catch for Us the Foxes. And so gotcha. it kind of all, yeah, it all coalesced in this thing. We didn't want to use Catholic in the name because we didn't, we didn't want to presume to speak for the church or anything like that. Um, plus, I didn't want to get permission from my local ordinary, and you have to for <laughs> using right. the word Catholic. So, right. uh, so yeah, so basically, um, the show is, there's plenty of amazing Catholic shows that are out there where they do instruction, right? People call in, they have a question, they give good answers, Catholic right. stuff you should know, wonderful program where they talk about different truths of the faith. We wanted to have conversations over, we call it discussion over instruction. So mm. we tackle big issues, small issues, current events, um, cultural things like Star Wars and um, Brock Turner, the rape case of Brock Turner. And just last night we talked about uh, Trump's uh, sexually lewd comments that were recorded, and mm -hmm. we connected it to, we interviewed a guest who was the victim of sexual assault. And so uh, just things like that, we try to get like a weird, random, unique experience. We had a one of our most powerful shows recently, we had a guy who was anonymous, um, but he, uh, he struggles with, uh, he's bisexual, he struggles with sexual addiction and crazy um, acting out behaviors, and he received massive amounts of healing through a handful of programs like Theology of the Body Institute and uh, Healing the Whole Person from, from Bob Schutz's group. Um, it's just amazing, amazing stuff, and I've been getting it's the craziest things that we get responses from. So I had a woman after that show write in and say, I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm an active, you know, ministry leader in the church and I'm a sex addict. Thank you so much. This brought me healing. Hmm. And it just things like that, that you don't like, we, we can never, we just like, this is interesting. Let's, right. let's so talk about it. You're, so, ta you're tackling tough issues that real people face and whether they're yeah. people of faith or not, that they face issues out in the world. And one of the things that, that uh, you're passionate about and you talk about on the podcast is church and culture. But what does that yeah. mean? Because we hear that often, church and culture. How does the church engage the culture? Yeah, so this is the, the enduring problem of being a Christian. How do we relate Christ to the culture that we find ourselves in? And, you right, know, there was a time in the medieval yeah. church where, more or less, the church was the culture. Exactly. Um. And, but, and, and but then there came a time I, where, where people were just like, I'm not going to be a part of the culture at all. I'm going to isolate as a Christian. Yeah. So there's a wonderful book called Christ and Culture by um, a Reformed theologian. Uh, it was published in 1951 by a guy named H. Richard Niebuhr. And uh, he relates, there's, there's five ways that you can basically have Christ and culture in relation to each other. And this book, because I'm not a Reformed Christian, I, you know, I never really came across it until, you know, it was like, I don't know, it's kind of out of, out of a randomly way that I got connected to it, but it's been really big in the Protestant world for maybe 30, 40 years after it was published. Um, but the, the ways he does it, he says, okay, you can either view the culture as like, God is moving in the culture, and we're here to respond, the church exists to respond and accommodate itself to what's going on in the culture. Or you have the opposite end of, no, the culture is evil and corrupt, the world and all that stuff. So we're here to form an alternative community. We're here to form a counterculture. Right. And with and then so those are the two ways. And and you hear this uh, in so in so much, right? So like the idea of um, 
of accommodating culture. So you have people like the Christian Gnostics back in the second and third century. These are people who believed in two gods, a good god of spirit and a bad god of matter. And Jesus came as like an undercover agent of the good god to reveal to us the esoteric wisdom of the spiritual, blah, blah, blah. But these people thought of themselves, we dismiss it because it's hilarious and weird, but they thought of themselves as devout Christians. But at the same time, the culture was, oh my goodness, like this is the best philosophy today. And why would we, in becoming Christians, we can't become irrational. Now today we think of Gnosticism as irrational, but then it was the height, it was the most important. And then you see it in the liberal Protestantism of the 17th and 18th century, where it's like, well, rationalism has taken the day. There's no such thing as the supernatural and miracles. So you have people like Thomas Jefferson, who called himself a Christian, attended Episcopal Church, but cut out, physically cut out with the knife, parts of the Bible that talked about miracles. Hmm. And so you have this, this, this accommodating of culture and, and all this stuff that's, that's interesting and also wrong in certain ways. And, and then you have the people who are anti-culture and the communities that they form. So you have medieval Europe, but in the middle of medieval Europe, you have countercultural Christianity in the form of the rise of the mendicant orders, the Franciscans, the hmm. Dominicans. Um, it, it never was static. And so... There are different ways of relating, you know, maybe it's one of the middle ways, like a synthesis of culture and church. So we take the good, ditch the bad, mm. and build on top of the good with the gospel. That's gotcha. St. Thomas Aquinas' approach. And, and different, or, or maybe, this is what I find for many Catholics, we call it the two kingdoms models, kind of the theology of Martin Luther, where it's like, okay, we got the world, and we got the church, and as long as I'm a good person in the world, I can conform to a lot of the world standards, as long as it's not sinful, mm. And then we have the kingdom and, I, and the church, and I serve that, but that's separate from the world. You know, so it's not about me evangelizing art, entertainment, politics. You just let those things be those things. But at church, you be the best church. So the church's job is to preach the word, do conversions, and administer the sacraments. And once you limit it in that perspective, I find that a lot of people in the pews are kind of like that, right? Like, this is what I do on Sundays. Right. Monday through Saturday, I do this other thing. And they're implicitly doing this, what, what Niebuhr calls um, Christ and culture in paradox, or you mm-hmm. kind of do this dualism. So that's just like an introduction to it, like very complex thought. So I'm writing a book on it. It's supposed to be super simplified. Good. Well, the podcast is great. It's called uh, Catching Foxes. You can find it on iTunes. But it, you've got about 30 seconds left. Gomer, h- how can someone, a Christian... <laughs> Uh, live their faith in the culture? What would be one one quick piece of advice you'd have for them? Yeah, I would say that if you are not grounded in the basic gospel message, all hope is lost. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you do not put your entire existence on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you put it on your own works in the world, you're going to fail, because you're doing it for yourself and to impress God. Mm-hmm. Rather, let God impress you with what He did for you on the cross and by that empty tomb, that's how you live your life. Wow. So, so God's obviously the apex and the center, and then God leads you to live your life every day within this world and within this culture, no matter what happens in the midst of adversity, in the midst of chaos. Yeah. All we do is respond, respond, respond. It's all His grace. Amen. So, so anyway, thanks for coming on today. You can you can find Michael at uh, layevangelist.com or at layevangelist on Twitter. Podcast is Catching Foxes. Uh, you can find it on iTunes. Gomer, thanks so much, bro. It was great being with you today. Yeah, and just a note to your listeners: it is explicit. <laughs> Some it's, episodes have yeah. cussing and it's adult yeah, material. Yeah, don't listen into it in carpool. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. All right, bro. Thanks so much. God bless. 
All right, thanks, Paul. Welcome back to the Paul George Show, a co-production of Christ Our King Radio and Breadbox Media. Here's your host, Paul George. Welcome back to the Paul George Show. Great to be with you. It was good to have Michael Gormley on the last interview. If you missed that, you can go back and listen on the podcast online at paulgeorge.la or you can find me at Twitter at paulgeorgeii. Anyway, uh, so Casey... Gomer had the best nickname. Gomer. Gomer. What just, an interesting fella. Yeah, he's 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 good. So, anyway, did you have a nickname growing up? <laughs> well, <laughs> did I did I catch you off guard there? Yeah. Well, you you reminded me of something. I, I mean, I had, a few, I had like some family nicknames. Like some of my family called me KK. It was cute. But that's, my, that's my, real cute. <laughs> my freshman year of high school, I got pegged. In on the basketball court because I was so energetic. One of the seniors was like, "Dude, you need to calm down, you little spark plug," and it stuck. Spark plug. Spark plug throughout high school. And and then it ended. Yeah, yeah, because I, I moved to a different town specifically to get away from the name. Yeah. Well, you got married at like sixteen. You became a dad <laughs> <laughs> so early. Uh, anyway, I, I do have some nicknames for you though. I was thinking about this. Gomer has such a great for nickname. me. Yeah, for you. Oh. So I, I, I'm a big nickname guy. I know so you are. So I've been thinking of a nickname for you. Now, I don't think I have the right one, because when I have the right one, it's just going to stick. But here's the ones I have so far. You ready? Okay. So just CT for Casey Traha, which I don't like. Do I, do I have to approve any of these? Do no. you just not care? No. Nicknames are given. They're not accepted. You're right. Okay. Uh, C. Trizzle. Terrible. Horrible. But I, I kind of like it. <laughs> but it's very 90s. So we have to go a different direction. Just case. That's That's been done. Yeah. Uh, and then I was thinking C-Train. C-Train? That's a new one. Yeah, because like Soul Train, music, you're a musician, you're, you're all into this stuff. And then and then the C, and then the T, the C-Train. You get it? You get where I went there? Kind of. None of those are particularly clever. I'm going to come back next week with a list of nicknames, nicknames for, for me? you that are just going to blow your PG. mind. I mean, PGity? See again, this you're just showing the PG fact that 13? you're like sixty years old. <laughs> it's not how nicknames come about anymore. Oh, oh, so you're the nickname expert. I'm gonna okay, show you. Okay, why don't we look in the song of songs like Gomer, whatever he got his nickname. <laughs> so anyway, Casey, uh, what did we learn today? Okay, some some takeaways. What did we learn today? Well, something I have to take away is that stark white shirt that you have on right now. Yeah, what's wrong with we, it? So we were talking about the Pope's wearing white. Right. And we were kind of running out of time, but I didn't want to ask you. It's very Dominican of me. Well, is this a power play? Did you walk in the studio this morning? I didn't morning? mean it, but I don't know if it might have been subconscious. Look, here's how I get dressed in the morning. I wear very simple clothes of solids. Uh, and if I can wear jeans, I, I do, and a t-shirt. And so whatever's clean, I just grab and put on. I mean, I, there's literally no thought. I'm definitely a guy when it comes to dressing. Yeah, I have to say I am too. But so, I just I thought that was intentional, I have to say. I was like, this dude's trying to, to assert his authority over me this morning. Yeah, but we did learn about the Green Pope today. What other takeaways did you have, Paul? Uh, so my takeaway was, uh, you know, it was interesting to me, um, you know, with uh, Gomer talking about church and culture. 
And one of the takeaways was, you know, for us to engage the culture really comes down to our passionate relationship with Christ. And I think that's at the apex of who we are as Christians. And I like how he simplified it, actually, in an interview where he just said, you know, if you're struggling or if you're what, whatever, just spend time reading the Gospels in front of the Blessed Sacrament and get down to the basics of what being a Christian really is about. Mm-hmm. That was a, it was a jam-packed interview. Yeah, we covered a lot. Yeah, because so with you, I'm a lowly producer, but I also spend a, a, a lot of time in my other life thinking specifically about culture and the church's relationship with it. Right. So, I mean, a lot of what he said definitely started uh, spinning the wheels in my own head. And it got me thinking about, you know, how we tend to separate evangelization and culture mm-hmm. as if they're two different things. Right. Yeah, I mean, John Paul II, a great saint now, um, said it, I, th- I think, better than anyone. And, and as simple as you can say it, we're called uh, to be in the world, but not of the world. And for us as Christians, we can't disengage from the world. We can't set up uh, camp in, in some, you know, separate, you know, world and community. Uh, although sometimes we do want to protect ourselves and be safe. I, I get that. I understand that. I, I have kids myself, and I look at the world, and I think, how in the world am I going to raise these children in the midst of this chaos? I, I look at the war out there. I look at refugees. I look at the election. I, I look at all these things and there's times where we wake up. I feel very hopeless, honestly, mm. living in this country. Uh, there's clowns killing people. And, and the, yeah, there's times where I, I really do want to set up shop and camp in the middle of nowhere and just pretend like I'm not on this planet. So you can actually buy a, a fishing village in Spain for the price of about an American mortgage. Really? Yeah. Real tall. Wow. One of the famous soccer players for his best man when he got married bought his best man an island. <laughs> now, yeah. I, how, how great of a gift would that be? I, I know, right? But the, it, the last it, wedding I was in, I, I got a dob kit with my initials on it. Yeah, like a keychain. Yeah. He got an island. But we need so, better friends. And there are times where I'm like, I wish I had my own island. And, and, I, and I know that we all sort of feel that way at times. But that's not why we're on this planet. I mean, we, we live on this planet. God has a purpose and a meaning for us. And we're called to engage the culture. We're called to live in the world, but not be of the world. Meaning that our souls, our being can't take on the form of the world, the world of sin. But we can certainly live for Christ in the world and be an example and, and influence the people around us. Right. And there's different ways to do that. Uh, I think we may have to have a different episode on this, but uh, I guess I'll kind of come out in a sense of with my secret plan. I always wanted to form uh, the Pierre Giorgio Institute of the New Evangelization. Is that after me? Uh, no. Not Paul, not, Paul, not George. Paul George. Pierre oh, Giorgio. Paul Giorgio. <laughs> <laughs> and so the it's it's got a big buzzword title for a reason. It's right. because it's a don't be weird Catholic camp. Right. Yeah, it, I, I was given a talk uh, last week at a young adult conference, and 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 they said, you know, what's what's the key for us as young adults, you know, being Christian? And I said, here's my first piece of advice to you: stop being weird. Don't be weird. Like just be normal. Like just be normal. Be yourself. Don't try to isolate and 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 come across as just be normal and engage people. And I'm telling you, like what, what Gomer said is. Uh, you know, read the gospel, work on a relationship with Christ, and then have coffee with someone. 
uh, and begin to, to, to engage people in conversation about faith. And that's where transformation begins to happen. Mm-hmm. You want to create a new buzzword? What's that? Enculturation. Enculturation. Yeah. It's not a new word. It's not a new word, but it could be the new buzzword. Instead of so, this idea of evangelization has such a specific connotation with those who work in the parish. Mm-hmm. Not of everybody, because I mean, everybody right. has different ideas of what evangelization means, but specifically those people that I have in mind right. that work um, in the church office that have all these evangelization programs. Right. We need to just change the word. Yep. Well, no, I agree with you, and I think, you know, we were hitting on that interview with Gomer, is that, you know, our church has become over-program-based. I mean, you go to any church, and it's like, plug in a DVD, here's resources, and those things are, are good and fine if they if they supplement uh, what actual evangelization is. Well, it's formation, not evangelization. It is. It's, it's catechesis. It, it, it's formation, but uh, ultimately, uh, enculturation, I guess what you're saying is, learning to really, you know, empower people to be enculturated into the world, right? Well, what's beautiful is that we already have established communities to bring people into. Right. And if you don't, you need to create one. You don't have to create out of thin air. Right, but what's a community without relationship? You know, so someone walks in the church door, and maybe they're greeted, maybe they're not. They're probably not. They're handed a bulletin, they pick one up, and and in the bulletin it says, come to this program. Now, who's just going to show up to a random program mm-hmm. if there's no relationship there? And until our churches get back to relational-based ministry, uh, they're going to—they're just going to kind of be very mediocre. So they're not going to be what you're saying is these communities. Mm-hmm. Yet our parishes are set up as communities, and, and they should be real community. But oftentimes we don't operate as real community because there's no real relationships that are happening there. To be fair, I have seen the flip side of this. Absolutely. Yeah. To I mean, the, the whole point is authenticity in real relationships. I mean, again, growing up Protestant, I've gone to a specific church where every single person you walk by greets you in this this right. feigned right. forced way because they've yeah. been trained. They've right. been they've been trained as evangelical. It's not, it's not authentic. Yeah, as evangelical to make sure that you talk to that person because their soul depends on it, which right. is hard to argue with. Right. But there, there's no actual connection. Right. Depth. Really walking, journeying through life with, you know. And that's where this whole whole term of discipleship came, you know, really discipling people, walking with people in their faith. And really, Casey, that's what ultimately what we have to get, get back uh, about. So the other thing I learned is that there's a green pope. So <laughs> You're still stuck on the green pope. I, I love it. I love it. In the midst of everything, we have a green pope. So... I don't know if he knows that. He's he's. He, That's true. Did somebody call Pope Benedict emeritus to tell him this? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. But anyway, his writings on the environment are phenomenal. Um, but like you said, they're not revolutionary. It's like God created the planet. We need to treat it as such. <laughs> Mic drop. And everybody's <laughs> like, whoa, what did he just say? That was amazing. So anyway, thanks to uh, Michael Gormley for being with us today. Casey, thanks so much for... Um, for all you're doing. No problem, Paul. Anything for you, buddy. Yeah, and thanks for picking on my white shirt. And uh, anyway, you got a good nickname, C. Trizzle, <laughs> at least for today. Anyways, Paul George Show, Paul George at II on Twitter or paulgeorge.la. You can find the podcast there online. So thanks for listening in today. We'll be back next week. God bless.